0: Well, last week was Easter, of course, and so this week, in the next couple weeks actually, we're going to be looking at some of the events that transpired after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today we're going to be in John chapter number 20. A very familiar story, hopefully we take a little different take on it. I was looking at my notes and, and I, I preached on this, la, this same topic the Sunday after Easter last year. I thought, well, that's that means somebody didn't get it. So, get it this year. John chapter number twenty and verse number twenty four is where we're going to be starting to read here in just a moment. We're talking about the story of Thomas. Thomas, of course, is one of the twelve. But what is Thomas known known for today? Doubting, Doubting Thomas. Even though he got it all right in the end, we still remember him for that that falter, for that that one misstep. Just kind of set the story as to what's going on. Of course, Jesus Christ has already been resurrected. And he's already appeared before the disciples. He's appeared before them already. Of course, he appeared before Mary at the, at the gravesite, but he's appeared in the locked room with them, with all of them except for one. Thomas. Thomas wasn't there when he appeared. But Thomas is he's made some mistakes, but he's doing a couple things right. So we're gonna look at some of the things he's doing wrong. We're gonna look at some of the things we're doing he's doing right. In verse 24, we pick up our story in John chapter 20. It says, But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. So we see Thomas and he he finally gets back with the disciples and he comes before him and and, and he he wants to rebuke what they've told him. They all said, we saw him. Jesus was here. He was standing here. And Thomas says, no, until I can take my finger and stick it in the holes in his hands, I'm not going to believe it was really him. Thomas had a very frustrated, reactionary spirit. He's frustrated because, no doubt and frustrated because he's invested much of his life, the past few years of his life, into this person that he thought was the Messiah, that he thought was God, and now this person has been nailed to the cross and died? Even though Jesus Christ told him over and over again that this is going to happen, he still, when the time came, he didn't like the fact that it was happening. It reminds me a lot of Christians today. The Christians are, they read their Bibles. The Bible tells them you will have conflict in the world. You will have persecution in the world. You will have bad days. You will have bad times. Horrible things are going to happen and they're going to get worse as the days go on. And we all nod in agreement. Yep, I see it. I understand it. And then something bad happens and we reject God. And say, well, how could God let this happen? He told you it was going to happen. He told you you were going to be persecuted. He said you'd be killed like he was killed. Unfortunately, none of us have succumbed to that yet. But the day is approaching. In some countries, it's already here. In some countries, if they find out you're a Christian, they'll kill you. That's how much they fear the one true living God. They have to be killed. They have to be stopped. They have to be stomped out. Found With his word, and the word is burned, and and you're either put in prison or killed or or sent out of the country. We've had missionaries who in the middle of the night have had their houses raided because somebody reported they had a Bible in the house. We had a missionary in North Korea that that his house was raided. He was there with his wife and his daughters, and and they came in and they arrested all of them. They searched the house, took all their belongings, took their house, found their Bibles, destroyed their Bibles. They sent the, the, the wife and the daughters back to the United States, and they kept him there and tortured him trying to get him to repent of Jesus Christ, not repent to Jesus Christ. Ultimately, he refused, and eventually they ended up releasing him after he'd been tortured. Because they fear him so much. God said these things were going to happen. So here's Thomas, and these things have happened, and he's beside himself. How can God let this happen? So he's not with the disciples where he should be. He's not in the place where he needs to be. Today there are some people that are, are frustrated with God and they're not here because of that. I was talking to a a lady that her and her husband used to go to church here. I ran into her at Publix, of all places. I do most of my witnessing in Publix. I don't know why that is. But, but I find law sheep either that or I'll sit at the subway at Walmart. I see everybody if I sit at the subway at Walmart. And so I am talking to her and she says, well, he had a death in the family. I won't get into too many details because I don't want to want to broadcast this person, but he had he had a death in the family and and he can't accept that God would allow somebody in his family to die. Do you realize that God had somebody in his family that died? He had to watch him be tortured and nailed to a cross. But ultimately, don't you understand that if Jesus Christ doesn't come back first, we're all going to die? Having somebody that we love die, it shouldn't be a reason. To reject God, it should be a reason to hold on to that hope because if you and them are, have accepted Christ as their Savior, you're going to see them again. We have a hope in Jesus Christ. We can look forward to that. Now, I understand the mourning. I understand being sad because you may not see them for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. If you were putting them on a plane and sending them to the other side of the country and you wouldn't see them for 40 years, I would expect you'd cry. So morning is fine, but understand, if they're saved, you're saved, you're going to see them again. That's the hope we have in Jesus Christ. And whether you have that hope or not, the people are still going to die. We can't stop that. So Thomas was frustrated. Probably Thomas, he was so frustrated because he had that sense of guilt. He had forsaken the Lord. He'd forsaken the Lord. He wasn't there. He'd forsaken the Lord. He wasn't at the cross. He was one of the ones that scattered when the the Romans came. We don't see him anywhere. He turned his back on the Lord. That's enough to frustrate anybody's spirit. But he'd also turned his back on God's people. He wasn't with the disciples because, you know, the other disciples, most of them had also scattered. But they'd come back together. They'd come back together. He didn't come back together. He even challenged that. He even challenged that. He'd withdrawn from the disciples. He was not, so he missed out. He wasn't present. He wasn't present when the Lord came for the first time. He missed another opportunity to be identified with Christ. Verse number 25 and 26 The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put in my finger in the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again his disciples were within, and Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. We see that Thomas is given a second chance. You notice He wants to take his fingers and put them into the holes in his hand and stick his his hand into the the hole in his side. It's because Thomas still can't get past the the earthly Jesus. He still can't get past that picture of Jesus. He refuses to see past the, the, the physical into the spiritual. A lot of us fall into that trap from time to time. I fall into that trap from time to time. I try and do things on a physical level that need to be handled on a spiritual level. We worship in spirit. And he was confined into the physical. He couldn't get past the physical picture of Jesus on the cross. He couldn't get past the nails. He couldn't get past the spear. He couldn't get past these things. He refused to see beyond the human and physical things of this world. As Christians, we have a a great gift that not only do we have the ability to to be in this world, to be present in this world, but we also have the, the ability to be present with Jesus Christ spiritually. We're not confined by this. We understand there's much, much more than this. There's something beyond even our own understanding, our own, even beyond our own imaginations. That's what Jesus Christ has for us. That's what he brought us. But Thomas believed that Jesus was a man, confined to a man. He fell into that trap that most of the Jews did that day, thought that he was, he was something else other than the Messiah. And we still see that today. People will try and humor us, and they'll say, well, well, Jesus was a great teacher, or the greatest teacher. Or some of the cults will say, Jesus was the greatest prophet, or he was the, the greatest man, or the, the greatest model of man, something we should all aspire to. And they do all these things, and it seems like they're elevating Jesus. What they're actually doing is they're reducing Jesus down from his Godhead to a mere man. Even if it's a perfect man, even if it's the greatest man, there is a huge gulf between the greatest man and the greatest God. And that's what they're reducing him down from. He was much more than a great teacher. He was much more than a great prophet. He was much more than a great man. He was much more than just the founder of a religion. He was God himself. He was God made, made flesh that was crucified for our sin. Nothing less. All such other beliefs, no matter how highly esteemed they are, are false beliefs. Because they only see Jesus as a man. Men prefer that, by the way. This isn't on accident, this happens, it's not an accident there. Men prefer to see Jesus as a man, even a great man, because you know why they prefer to see him as a man? Because man, men make mistakes, right? So men make mistakes. So this opens up a couple of doors for them. One, they get to pick and choose where they think Jesus was right and where they think Jesus was wrong. Because if he's a man, he makes mistakes. So he may have been wrong about that, so I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about those teachings that Jesus Christ had because he's just a man, he makes mistakes. Also, and if he makes mistakes, if he's just a man, he makes mistakes, and I'm not really accountable to him, am I? Right? Because he could be wrong. He could be making a mistake. So I'm not accountable to him. So what am I accountable to? If I'm not accountable to Jesus Christ, what am I accountable to? I'm accountable to me. Just me. I created Jesus in my own mind. I created Jesus in my own heart. And I'm accountable to that Jesus. And you know what? That Jesus agrees with me every time. I don't have to worry about you know getting my toes stepped on reading the Bible. I don't have to worry about the preacher telling me something I don't want to hear. I don't have to worry about other Christians rebuking me. Because my Jesus that I created is exactly like me. That's how most of the world, when they speak of Jesus, that's how they believe Jesus is. They talk about a Jesus of love, but not of judgment. I had somebody online one time tell me I need to act more like Jesus. Let me get my whip. They don't like the part where he Threw over the tables, and he took the whip and beat people with it. They don't like that Jesus that was cleansing the temple. They don't like the Jesus that rebukes women for sleeping around. They don't like the Jesus that calls people snakes and vipers. Says that their bones are, are they're, they're like a, a bones, whited bones in a, in a sepulcher. Their mouth is like an open sepulcher. Other means that just nothing but filth and garbage comes out. They don't like that Jesus. They like Jesus that passes out flowers at the airport. But it's a false Jesus. But they're false Jesus. If he makes mistakes and we make mistakes, then we're just like him. We're not totally deprived that way, or depraved. Some of us are also deprived. But we're not totally depraved if that's the Jesus, because we're just like him. And if we're not totally depraved, if there's nothing... That we can do to save ourselves, if, or if there is something we can do yourself, then we don't need Jesus, right? But if we're totally depraved, there's nothing we can do because we're just filthy rags. We're just dirty. And if we're just dirty, if we're just filthy rags, we can't clean ourselves. We need a God that can. That's why Jesus Christ died on the cross. Because we are depraved. We can't save ourselves no matter how good we try to be. And that's not a reason not to be good, by the way. That's not a reason to just throw up our hands and say, well, it doesn't matter what I do anyways, I'm just de- depraved. No, that's not a reason for that. We're still supposed to do good, try and do good, try and be the best that we can be through Jesus Christ, and he empowers that in us. That's that ongoing sanctification where we become more and more like him every day. But without him, not only are we not justified, not only are we not saved, but we can't be sanctified. We can't become more like him every day without him. Because it's not in us we don't have that power. Thomas is going to discover that. If Jesus isn't true, if he's just a human, we really don't have to follow everything he says. We get to pick or choose. We get to create a God in our own minds that's made after our likeness. See, it's interesting that we try and create a God or we try and create a Jesus or we try and create a spirit that's based upon our image. When we start back in the book of Genesis and, and he wasn't created in our image, we were created how? In his image. In his image. There's a whole series of, of sermons we could speak on that verse. Verse 26 says that after eight days he was with him again, Jesus stood in their midst. Notice the doors are closed, the doors are shut, that means the doors are shut and locked. This was a private time. This was, they weren't expecting visitors. And Jesus didn't need the door. He's, you know, we see that verse in Romans where you know, though I stand at the door and knock, if any man would hear, open, let him open the door, I'll come in and sup with him. And all that we, we think of Jesus standing outside, knock, 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 knock. And he's actually outside of a church in that verse, by the way. How disheartening is that. He's outside of a church knocking on the door of a church trying to get in. Well, that we don't, that again, whole another sermon. But here he doesn't need to knock on the door, he doesn't even need an invitation. He appears in their midst. They're gathered together. And he is there. He appears to them. And notice the first thing that he says, his normal greeting of what? Peace be unto you. Peace be unto you. Then notice what he does. After he says peace be unto you, in verse 27, then saith he to Thomas. Whole room full of people. All the disciples are there. He pops in, calms everybody down. Peace be unto you. Because that, that would startle some people, right? There's people there, and now there's another person there, and the doors are all shut and locked. So he says, peace be unto you. And they recognize it. They hear his voice. They know who he is. And then he turns right to Thomas, and he says, Thomas. Whew. If that was me, I'd have been a puddle on the floor right there. i just been like... Oh. Because Thomas knows what he's about to say. Jesus doesn't have to say, this is the great part, Jesus doesn't have to say another word for Thomas. He already knows what he's going to say. But he said it, so let's read it. Verse 27, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless but believing. You see that rebuke? Be not faithless. We are creatures of faith. We live by faith. Whether you, whether you realize it or not, our entire lives are built upon faith. We have faith when we came in. These chairs would hold us and the AC would work, kind of, and, and that the uh, the microphones would work. We, we had faith in all these things. And it's a misplaced faith because sometimes they don't work. My power went off this morning, like 2 o'clock or something. went off yesterday morning for a little while, too. We don't think about that. We think when we turn on the light switch, what's going to happen? The light's going to come on. But sometimes it doesn't. We live by faith. Everything we do is by faith, based upon upon experience, based upon things that we've seen, based upon things that we've heard. And and here he's saying, don't be faithless. But specifically he's talking about with him. Don't be faithless with me. Stop being an unbeliever, Thomas. Stop denying. Because when when you run the risk of of being faithless, you run the risk of, of unbelieving. You run the risk of, of, of getting to the point that you don't believe anything anymore. He's telling him you've carried your unbelief too far. He's telling Thomas it's time to stop the foolishness. Take your finger and stick it in my hand. Take your hand, stick it in my side. And be not faithless. Then he tells him to believe. What is he to believe? That Jesus is both Lord and God, that he is the risen Messiah. He is the fulfillment of so many Old Testament prophecies. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to the Father. There is no way. Believe that he is sovereign. And not just sovereign, but the sovereign majesty of the entire universe. Everything that we know, everything that we can see, and far, far beyond, he is sovereign over. Meaning he has control over everything. I love the fact, you know, our government wastes a lot of money trying to prove that God doesn't exist. That's why we keep building these telescopes. Because what they're looking for, if you look, you'll see it. They'll mention it every once in a while. They're looking for the origins of the universe. You know what that means? They're looking for something other than God. Because God's here, but we don't want that. So we're going to look way out there and see if we can find something else. And you know what they find every time they look further and further out? They find more of his majesty. More that he's sovereign over. I, I was getting a chuckle out of this the other day. And they've kind of buried this. You don't see much of this anymore. it will It'll pop up here and there. So because they can look so far into the future or into the the distance, they should be looking into the past, right? Because it takes light a long time to get here. I mean, it it seems like a really short period of time, but light has to travel. So when they look, you know, far, 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 far away, they should be looking at the infancy of our universe. So what they were expecting to find is a bunch of newly formed uh, stars and and, and galaxies and nebulas, all this newly formed stuff. And when they look way, 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 way out, look what they found? That stuff looks like it's the same age as the stuff right here. And they're confused. Apparently that was created billions and billions of years before this was created, and they can't figure it out because according to them, it's a big bang. It all got created at the same time. But we should be looking into the past. It is the same age. They they agree it's the same age, but it shouldn't look like it's the same age because it takes the light so long to get here. We should be actually seeing what it looked like a billion years ago. But it looks like it's the same age. And they scratch their heads, and they can't figure it out. And I'm in the back of the room saying, I know. (laughs) It was all created on the same day. It was all created at the same time. And not only was it all created at the same time, but it was created first, and then light was put in between. This is what their brains can't understand. What we're looking at, the light that we're seeing, isn't the light that's actually coming from that star. Because God hung the star, and then the next day he put the light in between them. He added the light after. We're seeing exactly what he wants us to see. And I look at those pictures, and I'm just like, wow. Wow. Our God is so awesome. And then I'm like, wow. We, all, we we spent $100 billion on that picture? That's almost as much they spend to shoot down a balloon. But I digress. <laughs> Be not faithless. Believe. Believe in our sovereign God. Verse number 29. Then Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, or we skipped the best part. Skip verse 28. How did I skip 28? Verse number 28. Then, and Thomas, goes. he's told him, be not faithless, be believing, put your fingers in my hands and my sides. Thomas didn't do that, but he did say in verse number 28, and Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. Whew. I don't know if I could have spoke. I give Thomas a whole <laughs> bunch of credit for even being able to utter words out. Because like I said, I'd have been a puddle on the ground. But he spoke, and he believed. And Jesus said to him in verse 29, it "says Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. There seems to be a, um, a growing group in the apologetics world that, where they, they want to prove God to the unbelievers. You can't prove God to an unbeliever. Because an unbeliever refuses any facts. It won't work. All it does is, used to be an old saying, you don't wrestle with pigs. Because after a while, a couple things happen when you wrestle with pigs. One, the pig enjoys it a lot more than you do. Because they like being down there in the mud. And after a little while of wrestling with a pig, a passerby can't tell which one's the pig and which one's you. Because you're both covered in mud. Jesus says, don't cast your, your, your pearls before swine. So be careful wrestling with pigs. Because you're not going to win that battle. Although the outcome is bacon. But anyways, um, again, I digress. But we're not called to argue God. Nowhere in the Bible does God argue himself. He starts out Genesis 1, 1, how? In the beginning, God. Well, where did he come from? How did he exist? Who were his parents? Did he come from another planet, another universe? No, 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 none of that. In the beginning, God. Well, how far back in the beginning? All the way back to the beginning. In the beginning, God. He's always existed. He's always been there. He's older than anything we can we can understand. We can't even in our minds we can't even fathom something that doesn't have a starting point because our finite brains. Everything starts. Everything stops. You go to a cemetery and on, on every headstone it says they were born in this date. They were, they died on this date. There's a beginning day and there's a stopping day. We look at history. The war started here. The war ended there. Everything we know, everything we understand has a starting point and an ending point, but not God. He's bigger than our brains, which is a good thing because he created our brains. So we can't argue God, but the proofs are there. And he's telling Thomas, he's like, he's like you're You're blessed. Because you got to see and you believe, but, but more blessed are those that don't see the evidence and they believe. There's evidence everywhere for God. I, and I don't mind you looking for it. I kind of encourage, it's encouraging to look at the world and, and realize how harmonious everything is, and that it could only have been put together by a good creator. Not just happenstance. There's nothing wrong with that. But understand, our faith shouldn't be based upon that. Our faith is based upon Jesus Christ. Because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas ceased being obstinate. He ceased being rebellious. Why? Because he was presented with Jesus Christ face to face. It's unfortunate that Thomas allowed himself to get that way. But Thomas got it right when he declared, My Lord and my God. That's so powerful. because That's two different things, by the way. My Lord and my God. My God is my God. He's over everything. He controls everything, but my Lord is the one that I obey. See the difference? He's the same person. He's the Lord and the God, but it implies two different things. God is God. He's worthy of worship. He's worthy. He's sovereign. He's worthy of everything that we can give him, all of our praise and worship, but our Lord is the one that we obey. He's the one that when he speaks, we do what he says. And he's given us a book of things that we need to be doing. We need to be carrying his gospel to every creature. You know, it's a shame that Thomas took this for Thomas, but it gives us a great lesson. There are a number of lessons in here, a number of little sermonettes in here, like if you're not where you're supposed to be, you're liable to miss out on something. You ever heard that before? That's a reality of Thomas. He had the opportunity of seeing Jesus Christ eight days earlier, but he missed out. But God is a gracious God. And he gave Thomas a second chance. Let that sink in for a minute. Because there are some of you here that have, have been given ample opportunities to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you've refused for whatever reason. You've put it off and put it off, put it off. Some of you to the point now that it's almost embarrassing to accept because you're like, people think I'm saved. What am I going to do? God is a gracious God. This command to you is the same. Stop being faithless. Believe. Right now. Today. Don't worry about what anybody else says. Because, by the way, by the if you were to get saved today, I can tell you what everybody's going to be thinking. They're not going to be thinking, what a hypocrite. They're going to be thinking, praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah, praise God. See, that's the gracious God that we, we worship. We, we have a, a God that is so forgiving and so gracious that he repeatedly gives us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. But one day they come to an end. One day we stop breathing in this world, and we open our eyes somewhere else, and it's done. Our decision's made. Whatever we've chosen—chosen chosen Jesus, we've chosen Satan, or we've chosen to stay on the fence. By the way, Satan owns that fence. There is no middle ground. The person that sees without believing, or believes without seeing, is a person that is more blessed. They have a strength of character. They have more tenderness of heart, typically. They have a sensitivity to the witness of the Holy Spirit because they, their, their belief is, is a different belief. It's not based upon the facts of the world. It's based upon the awareness of God and what Jesus Christ did on the cross. 1 Peter 1.8 says, Whom having not seen, ye loved. And whom through now ye see him not. Yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. I want to live in a world that's full of joy, unspeakable. I want to live in a world that's full of glory. That's not the world I live in today. That's the church I worship in. But when I walk out these doors, I'm not seeing a lot of joy. Christians, it's our job to take this to the world. Our world is dying. Our country is dying. Our community is dying. They have no joy, and they have no glory. But there is one that can bring it to them, and that's Jesus Christ. And he's chosen you to tote that pail of water. He's chosen you to carry that message. Each and every one of you, he's given you that opportunity. And not just that opportunity, but that obligation. This needs to be part of your life. This needs to be something that you pray about when you pray. Part of your daily prayers. This needs to be something of your daily actions. You need to be ready. You need to be ready when somebody asks you about the joy that's within you. Are you ready? If I if I asked you right now, could you show somebody the verses in the Bible they need, the very basic verses they need to accept someone as their Savior? Accept Christ as their Savior? Can you do that? If I called you up on stage and said, can you, can you show people how to do this? Can you do that? Some of you are thinking real hard right now, aren't you? Because some of you are like, I think I can, but it's been a while. And other ones are saying, I don't know if I can do it at all. God's going to give you the opportunity, particularly if you're praying for it. He's going to give you the opportunity. This is what our, our community needs. This is what our country needs. It needs us to be faithful in our witness. So when somebody is complaining about how bad their life is, you can tell them, and how in love they are, you can tell them that there's one that loves them more than anybody. Jesus Christ. And they may slough it off. But then I leave and John comes in and he tells them the same thing. And then, and then he, they slough it off. Then Ryan tells them. Then Dean tells them. Then Corey tells them. Steve tells them. And pretty soon they're like, all right, fine, I'll listen. And Steve says, I don't know where that verse is in my Bible. No, just kidding, Steve. And then we have the opportunity, that door is open. We think it's a, you know, this miraculous thing, which it is a miraculous thing, but it's because seeds were planted and seeds were watered and you got there in time for the harvest. What happens if the seeds are planted, the seeds are watered and the person's ready to be harvested and you're like, oh, that's too uncomfortable. I don't know enough about that. You know, some of the greatest evangelists in the Bible knew almost nothing of the Bible. Look at the woman at the well. five husbands, had no idea how many boyfriends. Nobody knows. I mean, Jesus knew. And he rebuked her for it. Told her to go and sin no more. Showed her that, that this wasn't just about the Jews. This wasn't about worshiping in the synagogue. That we are going to worship everywhere. We're going to worship together. We're going to worship in spirit. And she accepted that living water that he offered. And what did she do? With just that little bit of knowledge, she went back into her town being the laughing stock of her town, somebody that nobody respected, and yet she was able to witness to everybody in the town, and she brought a crowd to see this one that offered living water. Can't you do that? Are you worse than her? You're probably about the same as her. I mean, your sin is probably not that sin but you probably got your own sin. And if she can do it, why can't you do it? Why can't you do it? We see this over and over and over again with people that have a a small interaction with Jesus Christ. If there is such a thing as a small interaction with Jesus Christ. And they go out, and they don't know much, but they go out and they say, come and see for yourself come and see for yourself just just come and see and they bring him to Jesus Christ when a man truly sees what Jesus Christ has done has done for him or when he's rebuked by the spirit of Christ he ceases his unbelief and he turns to Jesus Christ the lord's spirit won't always strive with us there's only a season now, and it'll be too late. Proverbs 29.1 says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. There's coming a point in time that these people that you're afraid to tell, or you that have stiffened your neck here, and said, "Ah, oh, I, don't, I don't need that, There's a time when it's going to be too late. And once it's too late, look at those last few words there. It says, and that without remedy. There is no second chance. Once somebody closes their eyes in this world, it's it's settled. It's done. There's no praying them out of a out of hell. There's no that's all stuff that's made up by man to try and make man feel better. It doesn't exist. We have every opportunity here on earth to reach out to the light that we see. God has promised that when we reach out to the light that we see, he'll send more light. So that we're all without excuse. Christians, how many of you are going to get to heaven and and look back on your your deeds here on earth and realize that there were times that you missed missed opportunities to tell somebody that was ready? It's shocking sometimes when you put yourself out there and you start going places and you start witnessing to people how ready people are. We were witnessing one day and we went and we almost didn't go because it started to sprinkle a little bit. And we didn't like to, you know, you don't like to go to somebody's house, this is somebody we didn't know. And go to their house and knock on the door and it's raining. And can we come inside? You know, that's just kind of awkward. But the Holy Spirit said, Go ahead, knock on this door. And so we knocked on the door. And the guy opened the door and he's crying. It's a grown man and he's crying. And it kind of startled us a little bit. And we're talking to him, and we told him you know where we're from, and we wanted to come and tell him about Jesus Christ, and he burst into tears again. He said he's been praying that somebody would come and tell him about Jesus. The rain stopped. We were able to go sit down on a bench outside, on a, like a picnic table outside, and we talked to him, and he gave us his story. He was a sniper, a sniper in the military. And he said, I killed people. He says, and I, I closed my eyes at night, and I would see their faces. These people that I'd killed. Some of them, he, he didn't even see the face when he killed them, but he said, I could see them in my dreams. He says, I went to my chaplain in the, in the army. I went to my chaplain and, and told him, and he told him, and he said, Yo, how can I get relief? And he says, there's nothing we can do. You murdered somebody. You can't go to heaven now. And he carried this burden with him. Even after he left the military, he carried this burden. And it, and it, it, uh, it became a, a problem with alcohol and with drugs as he's trying to, to get those images out of his head. And, and, and we're sitting there with him and we're telling him, half the people that wrote the Bible were murderers. It's kind of scary when you look back at the history of some of these people. King David, a man after God's own heart, murderer. Paul. Formerly Saul, murderer. Moses, murderer. And, And not in a good way, not like they were defending their family or something. They're just murderers. The worst kind. And yet God got a hold of them, and God changed them and transformed them into brand new people, and they are some of the most prolific Writers and men of God that were used in the Bible. Moses wrote the first five books. Uh, Paul wrote half the New Testament. Long story short, he was able to accept Jesus Christ as his Savior that day. His name was Tony. What makes it even more special and more urgent... We found out that day that Tony was leaving town. Well, the next week. He was moving out of town. Everything, he was losing everything here because of the alcohol. He was losing everything here and he was going back to live with family. I forget where exactly now. If we hadn't stopped there that day, we may not have had another opportunity. Now I like to comfort myself, but this isn't always a reality. I like to comfort myself that if I miss the opportunity, that somebody, God will give that opportunity to somebody else. But that's not always true. Sometimes you're the last step. Sometimes you're the last opportunity. The Bible says that our, their blood will be required at our hands. We're going to have to give an account for that. And I'm not trying to scare you into witnessing to people, but I want you to understand the urgency of it. I want you to understand that this is your job as an ambassador of Christ. I was talking to Dean on the phone yesterday. Most of what he said I can't say from the pulpit. He, just, he was a sailor. So. But he made a comment, a couple times he made a comment that, that this isn't his home. He's just traveling through. He's not a, This isn't where his citizenship is. His citizenship is in heaven. This is just temporary. Eventually we're going home. And so what happens here, the persecution, the, the, the bad stuff that happens here, well, we're in a foreigner in a foreign land. Sometimes bad things are going to happen to us. But we get to go home at the end of the day. Our job while we're here is to be an ambassador for Christ. An ambassador carries out the message of his country or of his king. A bad ambassador doesn't. Thomas was a bad ambassador at first. Thomas got it right. Thomas finally got it right. And we remember Thomas as doubting Thomas. But we should remember Thomas as the Thomas in verse number 28, where he said, my Lord and my God. That's the simplest, most direct confession that I've seen in the Bible. My Lord and my God. If this is nothing, if you don't pray anything else today but that, pray that today. Pray to God, my Lord and my God. Put him where he needs to be in your life. Put him where he needs to be in your heart and in your mind. Be like Thomas. You may have made a lot of mistakes. Maybe your mistakes weren't as, as public as his. Yes, that was Thomas's downfall. His mistakes were public mistakes. We all make mistakes. We've all been in Thomas's shoes, but most people don't know about those doubts. Most people don't know about those times. But we can't live there. Just like Thomas, we got to get it right. We got to put away the doubts and begin to pray, my Lord and my God.